I'm Lily, and this is How to Win Friends and Influenza. Oh, I just opened a water bottle and a drop of water just went into my eye. It didn't really hurt or anything, but it was a bit of a surprise. Now, these kinds of struggles can happen. And I use the word struggle pretty loosely. But the difference between this kind of struggle, getting a harmless drop of water in your eye, compared to other challenges, is pretty profound. So there's one kind of challenge, some kind of obstacle or inconvenience that doesn't threaten your sense of self. It's just a thing that happened. You know, your appliance broke. Or you accidentally splashed something in your eye, something non-harmful. Something like that. Maybe your car's tire has gone flat and it's nothing to do with something that, that you actioned. Then again, there's the other kind. Negatives or mistakes even is how they're often seen that seem to stem directly from you. Things that threaten the way you perceive yourself. For example, taking a risk that didn't work out. Going to a party where you didn't enjoy yourself and everyone laughed at you. Or going to a party where no one laughed at you and you didn't get any attention and you just questioned why did you go. Or even not going to a party and then later seeing photos of it and wondering why you didn't have the guts to go. These kinds of struggles are different and are dangerous. And the reason is because they chip away at your positive self-valuation, just little by little. And that's what makes them poisonous. You can't ask the struggles to change. You can't be like, hey, Mr. Struggle, why don't you just like not make anyone feel bad? That's not something you can do. So if that side's not going to change, what are you able to control? Well, what you're able to control is yourself, your actions, your thinking. Now, clearly you could just make better decisions and take better actions and just be better at things so that these kinds of situations don't have to come up. Maybe you invested your money in something and that wasn't a good decision. You didn't really know what you were doing and you lost funds. Well, in the future, you could just not be so terrible with your money. That is one option. But just like when you're exercising, you don't just like work out one body part. You don't just work out your index finger. So you have a really, really muscly Popeye kind of index finger and then all of your other muscles are wasting away. You want to be well-rounded. You want to work on everything a little bit at a time at the same time, not necessarily like the exact same time, because I'm not sure if there is a physical exercise that exists that works out every single muscle in your body at the same time. That sounds more like having some kind of seizure, but you want to be somewhat regular in how you practice and how you discipline yourself and that you're working on multiple facets generally at the same time. So if you want to improve your life, you don't just work on merely diet. You also look at exercise and you may not be eating a carrot while doing a push-up although that sounds like it could be possible it could be interesting but you don't have to do it at exactly the same time but if you want to have a balanced life plan if you want to be improving properly and not having one statistic dragging you down and you need to look at everything 
it's kind of like when you're choosing a character in a video game and unless you have a really, really specific way that you want to play, sometimes it makes sense to go for a more well-rounded character. Sometimes you don't want to go for the character with just a lot of weight and a lot of power, but you want to go for something with a bit more speed. And this may or may not be an analogy to Mario Kart, where Bowser may be good for a certain thing, but someone like Luigi is maybe a little more, more balanced. So you want to be working on a couple of things. So yes, you could make better decisions. You could take better actions. And that's part of personal skill growth, working on the thing that you're meant to be doing. So if you're working in some kind of finance job, that involves things like doing your research and learning new techniques and actually understanding how to analyze statistics, things like that. Maybe you're a musician. Well, it means practicing playing or practicing coming up with new riffs and it means working on the direct actions that you're going to take. If you're doing tightrope walking, I guess that would involve practicing walking on your tightrope or maybe doing physical exercises to make you walk on your tightrope better. I am not sure how lucrative this career is, but if that's what someone's doing, then that's kind of cool. So that's one part. You can work on yourself and become physically better at things. Now that's really good. That's actually really important. If you're going to be successful at things, it's almost a requirement. And I say almost because there is an element of luck involved with a lot of interactions and maybe someone becomes lucky. But you need at least some kind of skill, let's say, in, in most circumstances. So that physical side is one. But what about the mental side? Well, let's say again that somebody's trying to lose weight. There's one obvious part, which is the actual act of losing weight. That is a given. If you're not physically losing weight, then you're not losing weight. There's also the mental side. How do they get the motivation? How do they have the self-confidence to believe that they can do it? And how do they shift their mindset from maybe thinking of themselves in a particular way, maybe thinking of themselves as an overweight person versus thinking of themselves as a fit person. There's an identity change that can be useful and it's not necessary, but it sure makes your life a heck of a lot easier. Yes, people can get physically healthy, they can quit smoking, they can lose weight, they can improve their eating without really changing their mindset. They can just work on the physical habits and the physical actions they take. But it is so much more powerful if you involve some kind of identity change as well, some kind of understanding of why you're doing this, a motivation, or something that's just going to change the way you think for the better. Why is that important? It comes back to that dangerous thing called the ego. <laughs> now, there's a Gary Vaynerchuk quote that ego is just insecurity wearing makeup. And that can be true. Maybe it's insecurity wearing makeup and a dress and nice high heels even. But regardless of what it is, it's, it's there. You're having this party and you're trying to invite all these really good qualities like courage and intelligence. And then in comes this ego thing wearing its high heels and makeup and the nice dress because it's not naked or anything. But it comes in and everyone's too polite to get it out of this party. 
And maybe a little bit of ego makes for a more fun party. But if at some point ego's dress falls off and it does become naked, well, that's very embarrassing. And then the whole party's just ruined because it's just this super awkward situation. What I'm trying to say is that ego is a dangerous but present thing. I mean, that's just part of the struggle of being human is working out not exactly how to control your ego, but how to work with your ego. It's just like animals have claws. Well, the solution is not to pull out their claws. It's to work with the claws. Maybe there are times when they're going to use the claws. And then there are times when cats should really be open to getting their nails clipped. (laughs) It's about using the things that you have. Not destroying them, not necessarily changing them too much, but working with their nature. So that's what it's like for ego. Ego can be powerful. I mean, that sense of identity, sense of preservation, that all is kind of related to ego. Someone with no ego, the ultimate humble being. I mean, that's kind of just like a rock, you know? Part of your ego is what defines your personality, the things that you are really invested in things that make you feel like they're you things that you might get really defensive or sensitive about because they matter to you or things that you're not secure about it kind of defines a human and i guess it makes really life really interesting the problem with the ego though is that the ego is fragile it's like this really 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 fluffy dog that when it gets attacked too much, when it gets overstimulated, it'll just roll over with its paws in the air. That's ego. Every time you face a struggle that is a personal blow, that threatens your ego, your ego goes into this rollover mode, just flips over on its back, waves its paws in the air, and just cries for help. Every time that happens, the ego takes a little hit. And I guess that's okay, a bit at a time. You know, maybe, maybe a lot of us need a little bit of a hit to our ego to remind us that we are in some ways vulnerable and not infallible. The problem is when it comes too much, when you get too many negative blows to your sense of self-worth or ego, when you have too much of it, it's just so unmotivating. It's got the opposite effect. It's demoralizing. That's not ideal. I guess part of the ego is linked to optimism, the sense that you can do it, the audacity, the even overconfidence to believe that you can reach some far off goal. And maybe a lot of the human achievements have really come from that, you know, the four minute mile climbing Mount Everest, even just scientific developments, works of creativity. At some level, it comes from someone way too arrogantly thinking that they can do something. But the difference between pure arrogance and achievement is that in the latter, they actually did something. So we have this problem. Life is full of struggles and some of them will be damaging to the sense of self. At least that's how they're perceived. They threaten the ego. And when your ego is threatened, it's, it's really demoralizing. How can you go on? So what can you do? Well, you need to 
protect your ego in some way. And I guess that comes down to two forms. There's protection as in really, really protecting, like putting a wall around it because it's so fragile and precious and so easily broken that you can't let anything damage it. A slight touch will just shatter it. That's one way. But what happens if those walls get breached? Well, then you're screwed. It's, it's game over. So that's a way and it might work, but it might not work. So this wall protection, what, what does that look like? Well, that's something like not being able to take criticism, trying to protect yourself from it because you know that if the right blow gets in, if this little arrow goes through a, a gap in the wall and touches your ego, you're just gonna fall apart. So it's kind of like an ostrich technique, putting your head in the sand and hoping that the sand will also protect you. But if someone actually like digs up the sand, then, then it's over. Or just avoiding all blows, trying not to absorb any kind of possible criticism or negative vibes. And, and that is useful to an extent. But how can you escape all criticism, all negativity? It's probably not going to be possible. Which comes to the second way. What if you didn't need a wall around your ego? What if you didn't treat your ego as some kind of fragile glass object? What if you made it bulletproof or anti-fragile, as Tom Bilyeu says? What if you made it undeterred by things that would normally be perceived as criticism? Well, that's so much more powerful. It's, it's like the Hydra. You cut off one head and another one grows. What if you could make your ego like that? It gets one chip and then that bit just regenerates. And so you can keep going. Your sense of self is preserved. You stay motivated. Every time you take a hit, you just get up again. Like some kind of really, really annoying kid on a road trip going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the answer is no, but they just keep asking because they have not lost hope. So that's what you need to be, this annoying kid or some kind of really, really well-made robot that just keeps getting up every time it gets knocked down. Or you could be like a lithium ion battery that gets functional every time it gets recharged. It just keeps working, working, working. Be like a battery, the rechargeable kind. How do you make your ego bulletproof? How do you make it robust against these attacks? How do you make it so you don't need a wall of protection because your ego is just so strong that it can take generally anything that's thrown at it? It doesn't mean anything's gonna not hurt. I mean, that's part of life, that's just inevitable. But it means it doesn't have to hurt as much and it doesn't have to be an irreversible damaging blow. It's something that you can recover from. So here's the thing, why, why do we see struggles as so terrible? Why, why is it such a bad thing? Sure, something might come your way as suffering, but you don't have to perceive it as suffering. Think of exercise. You know, to some people, it's awful. It is basically physical torture. I mean, it's damaging your muscles so that they regrow and rebuild, and that's how you build more muscle. But to some people, it's addictive, it's awesome, it's what makes them feel really good and they actually enjoy it, it's a pastime. So how can the same activity be so different to different people? 
It's how they perceive it, how they experience it. So when you see something, when you experience something that you would otherwise have perceived as a struggle, why don't you not think of it as a struggle? Let me give you some context. When you play a video game, let's say the classic Pokemon, walking around in the wild grass, and then you see some wild Pokemon in the wild grass. Wildergrass? Wilder, wildebeest in the wildergrass? But anyway, you're walking around, you see a Pokemon. Here's an encounter with a wild Pokemon. I mean, especially in the early levels. Are you like, oh, this game is full of suffering. Why won't these monsters leave you alone? Is it awful? Do you feel pain when this happens? No. You're excited. You're like, oh, wow, I can catch myself a level two Rattata and this is going to grow up into a Raticate. Or, hey, look, there's, there's a Pidgey. Uh, it's the first one, so it's not yet annoying. <laughs> we're going to get this Pidgey and we're going to build our Pokedex. And even if you don't want to catch the Pokemon, you're like, hey, this is a chance for, for my Pokemon to grow. You're like, this is a necessary part of developing your Pokemon to level up and then defeat the gym leaders. If you had a game where you would never encounter any wild Pokemon, where you could never have those battles, the only thing you could do would be to go to the gym leader and continually die until your Pokemon sort of leveled up enough. But I'm not sure you would even level up because you'd probably just get wiped out by the first gym leader. So you have to have these incremental challenges. And they don't seem like struggles, but that's really what they are. Every time there's a Rattata or a Pidgey or a Spiro or a Caterpie or a Weedle, it's a struggle, but you don't see it as one because you realize how it's helpful to your aim. What if we do that for struggles in our own life? You can be excited about them. I mean, you don't have to be. You don't have to love struggles. You don't have to be excited, but you can also not hate them. You can reframe your struggles and you can see them as necessarily level up kind of material. That they're required to part of living a good, strong life. That every time you, you encounter a struggle, it's like, hey, this is a chance to strengthen my ego. This is a chance to be faced with something that feels personally threatening, but to show that, that I can get through it. And to give yourself practice in getting through it. Every time you see a struggle, it's like, cool. Now I'm going to level up just a little bit more. What we want to do is learn from things. You know, that old cliche that you can learn from your mistakes or even learn from other people's mistakes. And that's why books and podcasts and seminars and all of these things exist. And that's true. We do want to learn. We do want to learn. But before you can learn, you have to be out of survival mode. You can't be dodging bullets to your ego, protecting your ego in every way. Because then you, you can't learn. You have to be a bit more comfortable, a bit more secure, a bit more robust. So what you need to do is first endure the attacks and then you can learn from them. You want to endure these things with dignity and preserve your sense of motivation to throw yourself willingly into each day and absorb whatever struggles come at you. That's the step before learning. Learning works if that endurance becomes possible. And that's why it's important 
to reframe your struggles and see each one not as something that would ordinarily diminish part of your ego, but something that's going to replenish it. Because every time you make it through this thing, you level up. And maybe unlike Pokemon, you don't have to stop at level 100. It's infinite. There's always a little bit more to do. And if you reframe your struggles, then every time something happens, you are doing that. You're growing and your ego's getting a little bit better.